Ari Rosen, I'm here with another uh, special episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about what 401k, what 401k plan sponsors need to know now. Um, great topic. Uh, one of my greatest hits, as I would say, is something I always like to talk about. And uh, um, of course, first things first, we'll talk about uh, the live events coming up. We will be back live on Friday, Jan- Friday January 21, 2022. That 401k conference will be in Las Vegas at the New York, New York Hotel and Casino. Uh, special guest, TBA. Got to get on the horn with Larry and see who he's booked or who he's going to book and make an announcement soon on that. And then, of course, Friday, uh, Thursday, Friday, the 27th, 28th, we'll be at that 401k national virtual conference live on Zoom. $20.22 to sign up. Go to that 401k site.com for further information on both events. And I would say shortly, we'll talk about some live events for 2022 past Las Vegas. Um, it's more about, you know, seeing how this Delta variant is going and whatnot, as well as, you know, uh, see how the baseball schedule lines up. Uh, I have my son, you know, trying to lay out the schedule. And of course, it pertains to the ball club playing the Mets. But, you know, some of the dates really don't work out. You know, April, you got to worry about Passover and you know, you really can't have events in July and August as much as I'd love to. You know, people do have lives, you know, and don't have to attend the conference. And then you have September, October, November. Not going to do one in December. We did that one in Dallas. And the problem with December is everybody's thinking holidays. you got TPAs who are thinking of about 1231. So we'll probably not do December again. I'm looking to, if we include Las Vegas, we're probably looking at seven live events, hopefully. Um which was a cutback when 19, we were a little aggressive and we did nine. Um, you know, we're looking at certain cities. I think Miami is going to happen. Phoenix, uh, maybe, um, I think Charlotte for football and we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's a interesting time and, and see where we go. Uh, I do have interest in going back to Kansas city maybe. Um, but you know, other cities that we haven't been to yet, Seattle, Milwaukee, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, there's certain cities, obviously, in 2023, I'd probably want to go back to Dallas. Um, but uh, we'll certainly see what happens. Miami certainly definitely, you know, interest there. Uh, New Orleans has always been the one I really would like to get to. Um, that's really dependent on the Superdome. Uh, I, I know that they're under renovation, so hopefully maybe 2023 we'll get there. We'll see how it goes. You know, obviously... Um, you know, live events are, are, are a big issue still. I, I know that, uh, you know, we, we struggled certainly two out of the three cities. Uh, we did, we did quite well in, in Houston, uh, considering, um, COVID. I mean, if you look at Houston, uh, I think pre-COVID that would have been a bad crowd. COVID, it's a good crowd. Uh, Minneapolis and St. Louis were not very good. I mean, it, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, obviously, when you're, you know, sponsoring and, and running conferences, you want people to show up and you want people to sponsor it and whatnot. And we'll see what happens. Listen, uh, you know, you, you uh, we'll see what the future holds and, and hopefully we could have events in 2022, 2023 and, and beyond. Quite a few cities, you know, you got to get to. And there's quite a few cities out there that I would like to get to that don't have a Major League Baseball stadium or an NFL stadium. And, you know, at uh, Oklahoma City and, you know, quite a few cities like that uh, that certainly fall 
uh, within uh, Salt Lake City. But, you know, listen, um, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, the tomorrow's promise to no one, as they say. And, um, you know, hopefully this pandemic will finally break once and for all. Um, and uh, you really can't worry about it. I, I learned a long time ago, you can't worry what you can't control. And uh, you just, you know, just have to let it roll. And, and I, I certainly did that in September with those three events and, you know, the challenges and whatnot. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, let's talk about, you know, 4K plan sponsors and um, what they really need to know. And, you know, one thing, uh, uh, you know, one of, my, one of my favorite things my wife will have is... Uh, She'll say, you know, they're all talking about it. And that usually means that, you know, she's found people on Facebook talking about a specific product that everybody's raving about. You know, word of mouth is a really big deal. Unfortunately, in my community, when somebody's talking about something, it's usually, like, bad. Uh, years ago, my mother, uh, my wife had me go to uh, the liquor store where people were talking about this wine called Summer in a Bottle. And I bought it, and it was... It was terrible. Um, but in the, the retirement plan business, word of the mouth uh, is, is obviously a big thing. And uh, there are some, you know, things out there that, you know, plan providers and are talking about. So, you know, that may deal with what plan sponsors may start to think about. Um, you know, whether it's litigation or plan provider marketing or media coverage, there's obviously a lot of topics out there that, you know, are, is, is certainly all the rage. And, um, you know, all the rage for, um, you know, plan sponsors to limit their liability as a plan fiduciary. Obviously, the first things first is, you know, there is a need for a plan uh, financial advisor. Uh, I've stressed it, you know, so many times. I've never hired a broker or a financial advisor in my life. Um, I've handled investments on my own. I've done pretty good over the years. Um, should have bought Amazon when it was like 16 bucks. Uh, you know, we all make mistakes, but again, you can't worry about it anymore. That's that, that, uh, that the train has left the station. But, uh, you know, the moment I would ever hire an employee, which, you know, I don't think I'll ever do, um, I would obviously hire a financial advisor to work on the retirement plan. Um, you could certainly invest on your own, uh, People have solo 401ks. Obviously, people have SEP solo 401ks. They tend to do things on their own because there's not much support out there. Um, plan sponsors can obviously be reckless with their own money, but they can't with you know their employees uh, because of the fiduciary capacity that they're in. And when you're a plan fiduciary, obviously, you have more responsibilities. You have the highest duty of law, uh, duty of care and law and equity, um, and it makes sense, obviously, for a plan sponsor to hire somebody who's obviously more well-versed uh, to be an advisor in the plan. Now, we know that, you know, the DOL changed the fiduciary rule, but, you know, in the end, I, I still don't know what's going on in terms of what's next. Um, I, I mean, I do know the best interest exemption rule, but you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Lisa Gomez was, I think... I don't know if she's been approved yet. Lisa Gomez is uh, going to be the headed up. So very, I don't. I think I've told the story that Lisa Gomez was at 
of Conweiss and Simon, which was a law firm that I was at very, very briefly. Uh, I like Lisa a lot uh, as a person. Um, I think that she's just a very good person. And uh, when you've worked at law firms that I have for a lot of, for three years, uh, not everybody's a good person. I would say it's a 50-50 toss-up. Um, she's, she's a very nice person. I think that should be an excellent choice for EBSA. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know what's going to go on in terms of the fiduciary rule and whether the Biden administration will have a second term to make changes or will they do in the first term, first term in terms of strengthening the rule. But obviously I think that, you know, plan sponsors need to have uh, advisors in some sort of fiduciary capacity. Um, you know, there are, there may be, uh, advisors out there that are trying to get out of that, you know, best interest exemption in, in the new fiduciary rule. But obviously it's important, uh, to have an advisor out there that puts the needs of the plan participants and the plan ahead of their own needs. Um, you know, my experience in this business is that, uh, especially, you know, under the old rule, uh, brokers, a good chunk of them put the plan up with a specific provider or a specific platform based on their needs and getting paid. Um, and, and that, you know, obviously was, you know, a, a, a problem, uh, because again, I think the needs of the plan and the participants outweigh the needs of the advisor. So... I think it's really important for a plan sponsor to hire an advisor that is certainly going to, you know, be in that fiduciary capacity. Um, next, you know, the need for an advisor who does more than select investments. You know, there are many financial advisors out there that, you know, can tout their capability of picking out investments. And I really think that that's one of the lesser important roles of a financial advisor. I think that's actually one of the least important roles, especially you know, in the 338 setting, most advisors are picking out, you know, uh, index funds, uh, actively managed funds, you know, in, in, for the advisors that pick that, obviously there, you know, there is some sort of rationale as to what works and what doesn't, but I think a good fiduciary, you know, has, uh, you know, interest in, you know, developing investment policy statements, um, you know, good fiduciary practices to help the plan sponsor. It's all about limiting li the liability of the plan sponsor and a good financial advisor is going to do a long, go a long way in doing that. And that's, you know, formulating investment policy statement, educating plan participants, you know, doing some good enrollment meetings and really covering all the bases. Um, you know, we talk so much about litigation, but the fact of the matter is that most small, medium-sized plans, uh, that litigation threat is, is very, very minimal. Um, you know, the, the bigger threat out there, um, is a, is a DOL IRS audit, especially on the DOL side. Um, you know, years ago, um, you would go to a DOL audit and they would never ask about the fiduciary component of the plan. And now you go through a DOL audit and the, the auditor will simply ask, you know, how'd you pick the advisor? What type of education are they doing? It's an investment policy statement. Uh, you know, in, in my opinion, you know, plan sponsors uh, really need financial advisors who 
you know, kind of also serve as plan consultants. Um, the joke about financial advisors is that when, you know, the complaint happens about the TPA, so it's usually the good financial advisor who'll get involved. They're kind of like the ombudsman. They take care of everything. Um, and, you know, you need an advisor. You know, it's not somebody who just checks up under the hood, but checks everything around uh, the plan. Uh, you know, kind of like a bumper-to-bumper -bumper protection. Uh, to me, that means you know, you know, offering a self, you know, offering a service that helps plan sponsors manage all aspects of the plan, which include vetting the other plan providers, reviewing the work of other plan providers, educating plan participants, and getting other plan providers, such as the risk attorney, when the situation warrants it. And you know, most plan advisors aren't just financial advisors; they're like an ombudsman, rabbi, and priest wrapped all together. So. You know, a good financial advisor is obviously somebody who serves as the guardian of a retirement plan and covering all the bases for the client. Um, next, really, the 338 fiduciary. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny when I first heard of 338, I want to say it was James Holland, maybe one of the first 338s I met uh, back, you know, 11 years ago. Um, when it was really becoming a, a huge thing, um, and then, you know, I, I ran into certainly other financial advisors who did it as well. And I always thought it was a great idea, um, using a section from Marissa 338, uh, you know, offering like a financial advisor who assumes the liability, uh, of the fiduciary component of the plan, um, you know, it's not the be-all, end-all, and it's not the right fit for everybody. A lot of plan sponsors don't want a 338 because, you know, uh, they would be like me. Uh, they want a, a sense of control. Uh, they have people that can certainly monitor the advisor, and so they don't want to give up that control. And that, that's fine. That's perfect. Um, you know, obviously, the 338 assumes all the liability dealing with fiduciary process to plan, but, you know, the plan sponsor is still liable. If they picked a bad 338 advisor. You know, I've never come across a 338 advisor uh, that is the likes of a Matt Hutchinson or the likes of a Jeff Ritchie, namely somebody who embezzled money. I think for a 338 advisor, I'm not saying that it, it can happen. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm just saying it's, it's a little bit more difficult when you are a 338 advisor working with a well-known custodian um, in, in trying to embezzle money. I just, it's probably a difficult situation, but, you know, the advisor, uh, the, the plan sponsor is obviously liable if they hire um, a 338 advisor who goes bad, uh, breaks bad, like, you know, like a Matt Hutchinson or a Jeff Ritchie or, you know, wastes money and runs a Ponzi scheme like Bernie Madoff. Um you know, 338 for a lot of plan sponsors is great welcome relief. And for a lot of plan sponsors, it's a, it's a service that they don't need because they're on top of their duties as a plan fiduciary. So they don't really need that level of protection, and that's fine. But it's, it's really, you know, it goes a long way. It's just like we'll talk about the 316 next. But, you know, there is not a solution in the retirement plan business that is a right fit for everyone. There just isn't. And as far as a... You know, 316 administrator again. Um, you know, 316 administration. I, I always, I always get a laugh of that. To me, that was the TPA's response to what the advisors were doing in the 338 setting. Um, it, again, it's it's a great marketing tool uh, for TPAs 
to uh, enter the fiduciary marketplace and offer a top-to-bottom, day-to-day kind of administration layer protection for plan sponsors. Um, you know, not every, you know, I'm a 316 administrator and I, I don't run, obviously don't run a TPA shop. Um, you know, they can obviously hire and a 316 plan administrator that, you know, is, is obviously an outgrowth of what a TPA does. Um, and again, like I said, it's, uh, um, it could be someone who's a TPA, someone who's not like me. Uh, and it's an effective way to minimize liability because the plan sponsor is hiring experts to review the administrative and compliance end of the plan. And again, like with the 338, it's not really required. A lot of plan sponsors are out there that are just really well experienced and conditioned to handle that aspect of the plan. And, um, you know, uh, again, it's, it's just not uh, the right fit for everybody. Um, Next, um, and, and not, 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 not least, I really believe, in my opinion, that plan sponsors really need to realize that a TPA is more than just a fee. Uh, I, I really think that I can't stress it more. Um, it's just not, you know, it's not like buying the newspaper, uh, that set fee. It's, it's more than just a fee. Um, you know, again, I will always say, with respect to other plan providers, the TPA is probably the most important plan provider that a plan sponsor can hire. And uh, I've seen too many situations where that small to medium-sized plan um, has a lot of compliance headaches uh, because um, they hired a TPA that just wasn't really up to snuff. Um, it's important for plan sponsors to understand that finding the right TPA to completely handle the administration and compliance component of the plan on, on a day-to-day basis is, you know, absolutely necessary to keep the plan out of trouble. We talk so much, you know, advisors and the media to like to focus on fees, and quite honestly, again, um, fiduciary breach of fiduciary duty. Uh, I think a plan fiduciary running a plan that's out of compliance is a far more typical experience than a plan sponsor getting sued. Uh, most plans aren't a large university or, or large company targeted by a Jerry Schlichter. There's no money in it for you know for these small, medium-sized plans to do a class action lawsuit. Uh, so they're not going to be targeted. Um, the threat is from uh, a DOI or audit, especially on the IRS side. IRS side is looking at compliance and complying with the code. I've seen too many plan sponsors get into trouble because of that. Um, you know, right now I have an audit on a defined benefit plan. I have an audit on a 401k plan. Um, these are the tricky situations, uh, especially when, you know, a TPA is just not doing a very, very good job. Uh, and, you know, quite honestly, most of the time, uh, from experience, I'd say 75, 80% of the time, the TPA is doing an excellent job. Um, it's that 20, 25% of the time when they're not, and, uh, you know, you got a problem. And, uh, unfortunately, plan sponsors realize that, uh, you know, I hate surprises. The surprise that a, TPA, uh, that a plan sponsor gets is usually, you know, when they, they can the TPA and bring somebody else new who discovers the error, or more typically on an IRS audit. And uh, the problem with that is obviously you're uh, out, of, out of luck with some changes in the plan in terms of um, 
you know abilities and in, in terms of fixing things so uh it's uh it's it's quite the problem and i think that plan sponsors really need to get off that sticker price look at what a tpa costs and seeing it just you know that they're just really a fee that they could just plug in a tpa is really the biggest decision you know uh, plan sponsors can make and avoid liability and avoid the headaches that go on with it listen if all tpas were great um if everybody was great at their job, um, I'd have a lot less work to do. And unfortunately, I've seen too many times when the plan sponsor picks a TBA just because it's the cheapest and learns to regret every minute of it. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode of 4K Podcast. And of course, go to that 4K site.com. It's going to be fun to be in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, obviously, we're getting a crowd that's going to be uh, advisors from Vegas and advisors outside of Vegas. Um, you know, January in New York isn't the most fun time. Um, and I'm sure if you're also on the East Coast or the Central or uh, way up, you know, Northwest, um, you know, Vegas would be a nice uh, getaway. So consider that. Uh, we'll be at the New York, New York Hotel and Casino. Uh, should be fun. Las Vegas Strip. Lots to do. I think a bunch of us are going to go to the Golden Knights game the night before against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, if you're attending, let me know. We'll probably get some tickets on StubHub or whatever it is. So anyway, um, go to that 4ksite.com for further information. And uh, take care, and hope you tune in next week. Thanks. Bye.